April 9th, 2018. An 82-year-old broker was found shot to death in his North Naples office. Detectives determined that the homicide took place during business hours on a weekday while other tenants of the building worked nearby. But two years have passed and the case remains open. We're revisiting the case in this episode of Sworn Statement in an effort to solicit more tips from the public. You'll hear from the 911 caller who was a friend of the victim and found his body that day. In my age, I never thought I'd see anything like this or encounter anything like this before. And the detective who has handled this case from the beginning. I think that it stalled because we have a very limited number of people who we believe could be viable suspects. You are listening to Sworn Statement, a podcast by the Collier County Sheriff's Office exploring local cases and public safety issues all unfolding right here in Southwest Florida. I'm your host, Christine Gill. The man who called 911 that day is a good friend of the victim, Carl Levensey. But the 911 caller asked not to be identified for this podcast. Instead, we're going to call him Leonard. The reason that we are identifying the victim in this crime is because we made his name public back in 2018. That was before Marcy's Law went into effect in the state of Florida. Since 2019, Marcy's Law has made the identities of victims of crimes exempt from release. That means that had this crime taken place after 2019, we would not have ever shared the name Carl Levensey with you. Leonard stopped by Carl's office after a dentist appointment that Monday afternoon. When he saw his friend laying on the ground, covered in blood, he hurried back out of the office to call deputies. It was obvious to Leonard, even in that brief moment when he saw Carl, that his friend was beyond help. Dispatchers sent first responders to the scene that day, and Leonard stuck around to answer some questions. He told deputies what transpired that morning and how he knew Carl, who worked as an investment broker, connecting startup projects to investors with cash to spend. The two met around 2014, when Leonard became a sort of casual advisor to Carl. Uh, Carl, I knew from the fact that uh, he called me one day saying that he had read an op-ed article I wrote in the Naples Daily News, something in the oil and gas industry that he was interested in, and he saw a little bit of my background that was at the end of the article, and he called me and, and discussed about people I know in town and what I've been doing since my retirement here in Naples, and I've been active in doing volunteer work around town. When he knew about the people I was working with, he said, come on, I'd like to take you for lunch. And that's how we met. And we got the meeting and he got me involved in a couple of his interesting projects he had. One was in the oil and gas industry project that I was particularly interested in. And I'm sure he uh, wanted or hoped that maybe I would invest in any one of his projects, but I never, uh, you know, I I wouldn't do it uh, right away. That's how I got to know him. I mean, just, I just want to give a feeling for how he struck up a friendship. So we used to see each other. I mean, we called each other almost every day or every other day. Uh, I used to meet over at his place, maybe on an average of once or twice a week over his offices. Many times, not just the two of us, we would meet with other business people that he brought with other projects and wanted my input on uh, and some of these things. 
And as a result of that, uh, basically, you know, we struck up a good friendship. Leonard was in a habit of visiting Carl, so on the morning of April 9th, he called him to see about dropping by his office that afternoon. Leonard had seen a useful article in the Wall Street Journal, which he'd cut out for Carl to read. The call took place at about 10.30 a.m. that morning. Afterwards, Leonard hung up and went to the dentist. I had a dental appointment early in the morning. I was was just going in for like a a quick x-ray. It was in the healing stage. And then I was going to take an article I had cut out of the paper that I wanted to bring over the call and discuss it with him. He was interested in this a new article about how much private capital was available right now in, the, in this coming out of the, the businesses that was existing at that time, and looking for money to invest in. I thought he would be interested in this. And he was, he was interested for some kind of an article he was writing. After the appointment, Leonard got back in his car and called Carl from his cell phone to let him know that he was on his way over to his office. That was around 2.30 p.m., about four hours after they first spoke that morning. When Carl didn't pick up the phone, Leonard assumed that he might be on the other line, or else entertaining a client who had dropped by his office. So Leonard left a message, saying that he could leave the article at Carl's door, and drove over to the office to make that delivery. And I don't know if you know his offices in Costello Drive, there's a suite, these little suite offices they have. They're a very nice little area to have an office. And uh, a lot of businesses next to you, you know, a lot of cars in the lot there, small things, right behind the shopping center, which is right off of 41 there, you know. It took Leonard about 15 minutes to reach the office complex on Costello Drive, which he described as being sort of tucked away at the southeast corner of Pine Ridge Road and US 41. I pulled into the, uh, the the driveway or the little area where all the cars were parked, and I in front of his office, I see his car. I said, good, okay, he's back. There's a glass door that leads into his office. I went through that door a million times, you know, and you can see in and and uh, didn't see anybody, but I opened the door, it was open, like it normally is. So I figured, I, you know, I shouted out, I said, hey boss, you anybody there? You know, so, so no response, and I could see his office as I was approaching, and. He wasn't in his office. There's a little conference room to the left as I approach his office that we always use. And I figured he might be, sometimes he's sitting in there waiting for me. And uh, I just walked over the conference room empty. And then there's a a small office adjacent to his office on the right side. Uh, So as I looked left, I started to look right. And then I looked down on the floor and there he was, you know, on his side looking like, well, he was motionless, of course, and looking like he had been hit in the head with something. He had uh, blood coming out of his ear, and, uh, and he was falling forward toward the back wall. And I said, maybe he tripped and hit his head on the bookshelf that was in there. So I was shouting at him, Carl, are you okay? Are you okay? And there was nothing, and I knew he was dead. I could tell. Sometimes you can just tell. Shocked, Leonard ran back out to the parking lot to grab his cell phone and dial 911. He stayed out there until paramedics arrived. It wasn't until deputies arrived on scene shortly after that Leonard began to realize his friend had not died following some random accident. Leonard would find out later that his friend had been shot multiple times, and with this information in mind, the crime scene took on a different meaning. 
That, that office where I found him, where there was like a chair was ajar or what have you, that I felt that maybe when he fell, he knocked over these things or what have you, or he hit his head on the, as he fell, he hit his head on the bookcase. There was a bookcase where his head was up against, or propped up against, and I think his, I think his glasses were lying on the, on the side. So uh, that, that's, why, that's where I got the idea where maybe he was attacked by somebody. That way there was a tusk, but other than that, I couldn't tell. So, you know, it's just so shocking. You know, it's, it's funny, when you see somebody who's a stranger who's dead, it's different. Knowing what he did for a living, Leonard began to wonder whether any of the deals Carl had been involved with had soured recently, which investors might have lost out on large sums of money, and which projects had gone bust. Even if Carl hadn't been at fault in any of these deals, there could be someone in his web of contacts that wanted him dead, someone who was upset and needed someone to blame, someone to punish. It wasn't the typical crimes that you see, murder crimes, in this area. It was, it was, there was a lot of uh, investor-type things and uh, people involved that might want him killed that might be hard to find, or people that might be able to put some money up to get him killed, you know, that type of thing. So I felt that uh, going through his files would show he has a lot of contacts. But these are not contacts that we would think would be murdering him, other than if he got involved with somebody who brought a deal to him, who was a, a criminal-type guy, a con man, who brought a deal to him, and then it disappointed Carl as well as the investor. And he got an investor involved, which he felt sorry that the investor was involved. Maybe that was why he didn't bring me a lot of deals. He didn't want me to get involved with them. He was the focal point of a lot of these things because he was bringing these people together. There was a, a lot of interest in this at the time it happened because who would want to shoot an 82-year-old guy in the business, you know, in his office in the middle of a day, in, in, you know, in a work day in, in Naples, Florida, of all places where you don't get these kind of killings? He was a very grandfatherly type guy, more so than I am, <laughs> you know? I mean, we're similar age, but I, he's a lot more, uh, more tolerant than I am, and he was easy to argue with. Detective Tom Cullen works in our homicide division. He was called out to the crime scene the day the murder took place in 2018 and has overseen the case since. Right off the bat, Detective Cullen was struck by the location of the crime and hopeful that a witness would come forward with pertinent information. It was middle of the day, high traffic, you know, high volume. The The window faced the parking lot. The, uh, the blinds were open in the business and in april it's still kind of season so we were we were dealing with that and the parking lot certainly wasn't empty but it's not a parking lot that you could say had a high traffic like a shopping mall or a strip plaza but it was a typical business plaza area and it's surrounded by larger businesses and and us 41 is just two streets away a lot of traffic back off of there Detective Cullen said there was no sign of forced entry into Carl's unit, meaning he was either expecting someone that afternoon or was in the habit of entertaining clients who frequently dropped by, the way his friend Leonard did. I would definitely say entertaining somebody that you know, but also this is this is a uh, this this was a functioning business that an incident that occurred during business hours. So it wasn't unusual for that door to be unlocked for whatever reason. 
this guy was operating during his normal business hours and and it wasn't uncommon for his clients or associates to, to come and go. You know, there was nothing that indicated any kind of struggle or fight or confrontation that led up to him being shot. It just seemed like he, you know, went out to, somebody came in the office, he went out to meet them and maybe went in, you know, was able to get into this office where he was found to, to maybe hide or, you know, find some cover or whatever, but ultimately he was met with gunfire, so. I definitely think it's business-related. Um, that I don't think it was something that created an unsafe environment for the other businesses in that area. I think it was an isolated and targeted incident. Detective Cullen would soon learn that Carl's business dealings meant he had a large list of contacts ranging from long-term clients who lived nearby to international associates that maybe he'd worked with once or twice. Suddenly, detectives were tracking down dozens of possible suspects at a time, and after each conversation, they added a handful of others to the growing list of individuals who might have had a motive to kill Carl. Probably the best way I could explain it is, is we started with people that were closest to him at that given time. And, and realizing that anytime you're dealing with money, whether it's a large amount of money, which in, this, in the victim's case, you know, it wasn't, it was, a, it, was a, it was an amount of money that somebody would definitely be emotional over. Um, but, I, but I also, I think, depending on your given financial situation at the time, any amount of money can cause somebody, you know, a fit of rage or, or whatever. And with the victim being in the side of where he was bringing investors into projects that haven't yet been proven, there was a potential there to, for somebody to lose money. And leading up through that investigation, we discovered that this is what this guy has done. So his, his, his network was so large. And, you know, with many startups, there were a lot of failed opportunities uh, in his line of work that could have angered a number of people. And it just left our, our investigation into the, to the suspect list uh, almost endless. It could have been a client that he worked with uh, years ago. It could have been a potential client that he was trying to get investors for. Uh, and maybe that wasn't working out and that client maybe got angry because it could have been a, you know an opportunity or maybe it was a missed opportunity for that client. Uh, it could have been investor an investor that wasn't getting a return that they thought was happening, which I just, I, I don't know that that's likely. He was dealing with clients in, like I said, Texas, um, you know, and, and those associates that he was dealing with have connections. Uh, some of them have, have a, a, an expansive network overseas as well. And we, we never, we've never had the opportunity to rule that out yet. Um, because the list of, of people that we, we were developing to talk to 
was just so extensive that you know it 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 never gave us a clear motive and never gave us a clear line to a suspect. Even if Carl wasn't handling high-stakes investment deals, other renters in his plaza reported often hearing him shout to clients on the phone. It was never clear if this was just the volume at which Carl spoke or if those phone calls were tense. But Detective Cullen says that by most accounts, Carl was well-respected in his field. So it, it wasn't it, it wasn't out of the ordinary that somebody could hear him yelling. So I think that's why there was no concern about, oh, somebody screaming over there, I should call 911. I think it was more of a, you know, oh, that guy's always yelling. Or, you know, and it, I, don't, I don't think it was ever con- even confirmed that it was him yelling opposed to him just talking loudly or anything like that. And the people that knew him couldn't say whether he was soft-spoken or whether he was just a loud person because from the time meeting him, it was always the same interaction. And, uh, you know, and the people that knew him certainly had developed a, a ton of respect for him and, and for what he did and would certainly go, go to great lengths, I think, to um, bring him business or other investors to project. I don't think that any of their business dealings um, have been anything less than above board. The fact that Carl was often heard shouting or talking loudly, especially by phone, could be part of the reason why no one around his office heard anything out of the ordinary that day. Detective Cullen says it's also likely a sign of the times today, where folks don't concern themselves with the affairs of strangers. I think with incidents like these, it's important to realize that, you know, if you see something that you, that's a little bit concerning, call, you know. And, and I think that that will lead to or ultimately leads to, you know, less criminal activity, a higher presence. Then people don't have to worry about hearing these screams or whatever that they have to turn away from. And, and I think that's what it is. Well, I'm not calling 911 because I don't want to get involved. Still... Detective Cullen believes there's potential that someone out there will suddenly remember something from the day Carl was shot. Someone who didn't know Carl personally and who didn't work with him on any kind of investment. The tips that we were getting seemed to be more from the victim's network, saying that you should look into this person or this person, and all of those tips were pointing fingers back to each other, if that makes any sense. It became just that. It became a circle that, you know, a circle doesn't end. It just constantly goes around and you end up back at square one with the same person that you heard 10 people ago. But I still think there's potential for somebody out there that's probably seen something or heard something, even if it was a car speeding away or whatever the case may be. I think there was something in that area that at least one person thought to be unusual for that area. Uh, Somebody that had specific knowledge or first-hand knowledge, you know, for them to come forward would probably give us a significant boost forward in the case. If you think you have a tip that could help detectives solve this case, contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office at 239-252-9300. That's 239-252-9300. 
Or if you want to remain anonymous, contact Southwest Florida Crime Stoppers at 1-800-CRIME-STOPPERS. There's a $3,000 Crime Stoppers reward in this case for any anonymous tip that leads to an arrest. The Florida Sheriff's Association has also contributed a $5,000 reward for this case for a total of up to $8,000 for a tip that leads to an arrest. Thanks for listening. Sworn Statement is a production of the Collier County Sheriff's Office under the direction of Sheriff Kevin Rambosk. It is produced, written, and recorded by me, your host, Christine Gill. Listen on SoundCloud and wherever you find podcasts.